this time and turn with me, please, to um, the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Well, this is not good. I think we got it now. Too many pictures there. That's what the problem is. All right. Jonah. We last week dealt with the last part of chapter one, where Jonah is swallowed by a, there are multiple words, a, uh, a fish. Uh, some of your translations have a whale. Uh, some of a sea creature is another translation. The reality is we don't know, but we know it was God ordained. Whatever it was, it was God ordained. And that picture we talked about. Remember the ichthy? We talked about Mr. Gaiman all last week. I don't know if you know that, Mr. Gaiman. I hear no response. <laughs> In other words, I'll get you back. Here reality is, the ichthy, remember what the ichthy was? The ichthy, well, let's go and show you what the ichthy is. What it, here it is. That ichthy is a picture of a fish. And Mr. Gaiman's an ichthyologist, right? Um, he worked with fish, but the, the point of this is, Jesus Christ took on, in, in, in a sense, he took on the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah was this fish. And what the fish symbolizes is the substitutionary death of Christ. How many understand all that? All of that fits together. If the ichthy literally is the letters of the Greek alphabet, I, X, theta, Y and E, even though I didn't say them right, that's what they are to you and to me because we don't know Greek, right? And every one of those word letters are dictating, first of all, Jesus, Christ, the X, Theta, God, Y, Son, and E, Savior. That's how they all work together inside that ichthy. How many know what an ichthy is now? And that was a sign that was used after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for people like in Rome, if you would go to Rome and go to the catacombs, you'll see this fish over top of some of the catacombs underneath Rome. And what is a sign that they were a child of Christ. They were believers. They were Christians. The reason that happened, according to the text in Matthew chapter 12 and Jonah, the end of the chapter, chapter 1, we find what happened. First of all, was this that happened in Jonah 1, a picture of a substitutionary death for somebody else's life. Yes or no? Jonah 
was literally thrown overboard by other people as a substitutionary death to save their own life. Just as Jesus Christ was put on the cross by other people, although willingly did it, as a substitutionary death on the cross for the whole world. Amen? That's exactly what we, we talked about that last week, and we think it's extremely important to, we, when we study Jonah, you got to study what took place in, I believe it's Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, I can't remember, Jeremiah, I think it is, and, and, and then also in Matthew, wherever he's found, you need to put these pieces together to figure out what God's trying to give, the information he's trying to express to us concerning Jonah. And we found very clearly Jonah's sacrificial death by, at the hands of others was a foreshadowing of Christ's death on the cross. Because not only was there a substitutionary death, we talked about that last week, there also was a supernatural deliverance. There was a supernatural deliverance. Let me ask you, Christ's death on the cross, did something supernatural happen on Sunday morning? Absolutely. People just don't come out from the dead. That's something supernatural. And Jesus Christ, we, we, we celebrate that on Easter Sunday, amen, that he rose again. And what a great truth that is. Matter of fact, without his resurrection, there is no salvation. There's this idea out there that it's just believe a Jesus. It's called, and you can look it up if you'd like, it's called the crossless gospel. And you don't have to believe that Jesus died on the cross. You don't have to believe that he rose from the dead. You don't have to believe that he's God. Just believe him. Folks, that is antithesis to Scripture. It's not what the text says. If the cross wasn't important, then why is it there? If the resurrection was not important, why is it there? If the gospel proclaimed by Paul was not believed that he died and rose again the third day and goes on with it, amen? We serve a living Savior, not a dead one. Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord, amen. He is sovereign. And in this case, God, according to Jonah 1, sent a fish or a sea creature to keep Jonah alive or to rescue him from death, whatever the case is. And remember, we talked about last week, we don't know if he died or not. Because the words are, we can't tell. It really doesn't matter. In the end, Jesus himself says that a sign greater than Jonah is here in Matthew 12. Which also then we talked about, what does that tell you that Jesus thought of Jonah? For him to say that, certainly there's also supernatural deliverance that Jonah had with the sea creature. And then lastly, there were serious dimensions to this. What are those serious dimensions that we talked about? The serious dimensions is, let me ask you, what are the two greatest days in all of the church where most of people come to church throughout the year? Christmas and Easter. And they dress up for Easter, do they not? 
I mean, if you live down south, I'm sure Louisiana, you would see that, right? You go down south, and man, they got the hats, they got everything. I mean, tuxes are okay, right? But regardless, everybody dresses up for Easter. Why? Why do they do that? I cannot know people's hearts. Nobody can know each other's heart. But I will tell you this. Many of them are dressing up for their funeral. Because that's the only time they care about, oh yeah, I know, I know Jesus. Do you really? Now Again, I can't tell that they're saved or unsaved, but I tell you what, if the only time they come to church is Wednesday or on Easter and Christmas, they got a heart problem with Christ, do they not? And that's, the Bible says, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. To know the truth about Christ, to have his word in, his, in your hands, and to purposely reject the assembling of yourselves together. Those fruits look like an unsaved person. I don't know that they are or not. And nobody knows but God and them. The reality is there's a serious dimensions there. All right, we talked about that last week. So the sign of Jonah. Jonah was thrown into the sea. That was the substitutionary death. Jonah was swallowed by a keto. <laughs> Where do we get that word, keto? Anybody remember what passage of Scripture says keto? You know, it's not weight loss program found in the New Testament. <laughs> keto is the name of the, uh, of the animal or whatever, the sea monster in Greek. That's, it's keto, and so that's the word. And frankly, because it's used in the New Testament as keto, that's the one that's probably more closely understandable to us since we're 2,000, okay, 2,000 years removed, 1,500 years, whatever. All right, something greater than Jonah is here. And who was greater than Jonah? Christ is. And let me tell you this, Christ is the only one greater than Jonah. The moment we think we're greater than Jonah, we have a problem. Christ is the only one greater than Jonah. It's just, it's so weird how Christ would take this guy who knowingly disobeyed God, who knowingly did not want to give the gospel to the Ninevites, and yet he did because of all of this, that we just talked about. And for some reason, we like to rag on him. Folks, are we any better than Jonah? Do we give the gospel faithfully as he, promised, as he tells us to do that? Do we love the Lord and, and, and share Christ with everybody we're with? And why in the world would we disparage God's chosen people when we have our own issues, do we not? All of us have struggles. God's grace, we learned, has no boundaries. Amen? God's grace has no boundaries. 
He disobeyed me. He's off my list. <laughs> now, that's not true. If that's true, every one of us are off the list. He not only disobeyed me, he wouldn't pray to me. We can't find anything in the text of chapter 1 where he prayed. Now, the whole second chapter is all about his prayer. Amen. But here's you've got. You've got uns, we have wicked people that are pagans on the ship, and what are they doing? They're praying to their God, realizing that don't work. They start praying to the God. And where's Jonah? He's snoring in the bowels of the ship. Until chapter 2. God's grace has no boundaries. There is nothing that God will not forgive, cannot forgive. God's grace is awesome. By the way, if we don't focus on God's grace in our lives, scribe and Pharisaism becomes us. Because we think we're better. We're not. We're not any better. I, I, I was reading this morning, R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul says, and I agree with him 100%, Christians aren't any better than unchristians. Christians just know where the bread is. Whew. That's powerful. How many times do we feel we're better than the unsaved? The only difference is we're sinners saved by grace. They don't know about the grace. They don't know where the truth is. That's why we're still here. To give them the bread, just like somebody gave us the bread. Amen? And by the way, that is not a Lord's Supper picture. Get that out of our heads. We do not get the bread at the Lord's Supper that way. He's talking about, this is where we find grace. God's Word. God's sovereign will will not be thwarted. Jonah... I told you to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. Literally, that's what he was told. Tell them to repent. Jonah said, uh-uh, not me. Why? There's a great theological answer to that. What is it? I don't know. I don't know. But he didn't. And yet God brought a storm. He still didn't go. He threw him in the river, rivers of the sea, if you will. And we're going to find out what his heart was when we found, when, when Jonah found water, something happened. And we will see it, but we will realize that God will even use a stubborn, I think that's fair, is that fair? A stubborn believer to accomplish his will. Now, it's not a good idea to be a stubborn believer against God's will because you're going to find the storms and you're going to find in the, <laughs> in the sewer of a sea creature. But God's will will not be thwarted. And I think we all can say amen to that. Chapter 2, it's where we are in the text now. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, 
from the stomach of the fish. From the stomach of the fish he prayed. Jonah, all of a sudden, something's happened to Jonah. Is this the first time we hear him praying, yes or no? Yes. And here he is in the stomach of the fish praying. Now, it's a little difficult here, and we'll get to all these difficulties. Jonah's a very complex book. But I will tell you this, if we underst- in understanding the prayer, if we can understand his prayer, we can then unlock Jonah's internal struggles and perhaps even our own. True? Do we ever find ourselves not obeying God? Absolutely. That means, do we sin? What's the answer to that? Absolutely the answer to that is. We don't celebrate that. We don't propagate that. We hate that. But we do that. Do we not? But regardless is, Jonah was disobeying God, and now we find him probably not on his knees. He's probably flat on his back, I would guess. But that's a guess. Swallowed by a sea creature in his belly. I can't think of a more disgusting place to be in this world. And that's where Jonah is. And finally, he's praying. He's praying to Almighty God. Jonah, ignoring God's call for the prophet to preach repentance to Nineveh, goes down to Joppa, goes down into the ship, goes down in the ship, Now he's going down in the sea, and now he's down inside a sea creature. I think he's been down enough. But the reality is, sin causes us to go down constantly in our lives. All kinds of sins. Those sins do the exact same thing to us. When we do exactly what God tells us not to, and we know what the text says, there's plenty of texts that we disobey, and we know them. We're going to keep going down farther and farther and farther till we hit the bottom. And finally, oh, okay, I give. Or what do we call it? Uncle? I, I, I'm done. Uncle, quit. Stop. I'm at the end. Well, we're going to find out he's not at the end, but at this moment in his life, he believes he's at his end. This Hebrew word, yarad, is the word to descend. And frankly, to descend is the drumbeat of chapter 1. Jonah living his life just like we are living our lives. Chose to disobey just like we choose to disobey. And we find our lives getting farther away from God and farther away and farther away and farther away and farther away till finally we say, enough is enough, I've had it. And Jonah reaches out to God in prayer. He ignores God's command, the storm raging around him, the sailors he imperiled, and the sea plea to pray unresponsive and unwilling to save himself. In his anguish and passivity, which we find him sleeping in the bottom of the boat, 
Jonah tells them, throw me overboard. I'm the culprit. I'm the one. Throw me overboard. Once he's thrown overboard, he sinks into the sea, and we're going to find that in chapter 2. Until it seems like he finds himself on the ocean floor. Did you hear about the cords that are wrapped around me with the prayer of David in 116? How many saw that? Have you heard that? The cords. You're going to see very similar words with Jonah. He knows his Bible. You're going to be convinced by it by the end, Lord willing. Once thrown overboard, he sinks into the sea until it seems like he finds the, the ocean floor. He, he's, he's past the mountains of the world, under them. Some believe he is unable to die and also unable to live. Matter of fact, I think he doesn't know what he is. Until the great sea monster appears with its unexpected salvific powers. In the belly of this Quito, whale, fish, whatever you want to say, Jonah's prayer begins in earnest. Now he's going to get serious. I don't know about you, but do you remember being in high school? I do. And I like to goof off. I like to mess around. I, I like to... There are probably times I'd like to sin. Anybody want to agree with me on that? Or are you too proud to do that? And the word that kept on coming to my, the phrase that kept on coming to my head is someday I'll get serious. Someday I'll get serious. Well, someday may never come because God chastens whom he loves. And if you're truly a child of his, you will be disciplined. Let me ask you, was Jonah disciplined? Whew. That discipline is to turn our hearts back towards Christ. Amen. It's to say, okay, that me dummy, got to listen to God. Amen. This is where he finds ourselves. During this journey, what may be, maybe, I don't know, it may be from death back to life. We talked about that about three weeks ago. Whether he died or not, we don't know. And to be dogmatic on whether he died or not, I don't know if that's a good thing. It doesn't really matter. The reality is, this prayer is the first, Jonah's first response to God that's found in the text. Even in the midst of the fiercest storms, the sailors are praying. Jonah slept instead of prayed. Even after the helmsman rebuked Jonah and called him to prayer, the text gives no indication that Jonah obeyed. It doesn't say that he prayed. So we don't know. Once he's in the fish's belly, however, well then things get a little bit, okay, enough is enough. To be sure, Jonah has reverence and religious regard for God and his people. We find that very clear in Jonah Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. He says what? I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me, and I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. I heard my, you heard my voice. And it goes on, if you keep reading, you'll find that he's talking about facing towards uh, uh, seeing again the holy temple. 
in the second part of verse 3 or 4, I believe. But, and in just a second, I'm going to show you how he is quoting Scripture. I will tell you this before we get there. For all of Jonah's orthodoxy and beauty, however, this prayer of Jonah reveals some of the greatest defects in his character. Matter of fact, this story, how many know what Midrash is? I love this. Anybody know what a Midrash is? What does that sound like, Midrash? Does it sound Jewish? So the Midrash is basically a Jewish commentary. Old, old Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. Here's what they believe. Now, they added to it, and I'm going to tell you that ahead of time. The text doesn't say this, but listen to what he says. I, I think they're... I think it's great. I'm, this is what it says. I made him a spacious place in the belly of the fish so he would not be in pain, but he still would not pray to me. So I shall prepare him a pregnant fish carrying 365,000 fry so that he will be in pain and he then will pray to me. <laughs> How many understand what they did? <laughs> Now, they added that, but the point of the matter was they recognized Jonah's plight. He is being disciplined over, doesn't do anything. Over again, doesn't do anything. Over again, doesn't do it. He won't listen to God. Do we ever find ourselves in that? I don't want to hear it. Okay, bam, discipline. <sighs> is that all you got? Nope. Nope. It's discipline after discipline after discipline, and finally, he's in the stomach of a sea creature. Okay, got it. I'm going to pray. The glory of prayer is that it has the power to save the supplicant from a situation that would have been irreparable without divine intervention. If you were swallowed by a sea creature... What do you think? If possible, it's time to write my will, right? I'm done for. I'm a cooked goose. I'm over. I'm dead. I'm finished. Well, in essence, and this is why it's in the text, whoever goes down to Sheol does not come up. Now, is that true? It's true except for Christ. And it might be true with Jonah if he actually died. How many get this? Jonah is a picture of Christ 100% in some of, his, of these actions and how God worked in his life. Jonah's prayer in general, in general, Jonah's prayer is absent of any admission of guilt. There's no request for forgiveness in here. Though the preceding narrative indicates that such is certainly needed, Jonah's prayer includes an indictment against devotees of useless idols. In other words, he is attacking 
Oh, you're pagan gods who forsake their experience of mercy, which Jonah uses as a foil, and we'll see it in chapters 2, verses 9 through 10, for his own piety and devotion. In other words, this guy was Mr. Legalist himself. And to be honest with you, there's not a one person in here who has not acted legalistically. We all do. It's because we don't have a big enough picture of who God is. Because the bigger your God, the less you know and the less we are, right? These shortcomings of his prayer, his legalism, his unforgiving heart, his non-admission of guilt, all that is in this text. These shortcomings contend and give us an idea, a glimpse of his shallowness in repentance. I'm ready to tell these heathen to repent. Ah, oh, what about me? What about me? Don't we do that all the time? His sin's worse than my sin. No, you just proved that your sin's worse, if there even is such a thing. All sin is against God, and it's all wicked, and it all deserves damnation to hell for eternity. There's not any white sin or little sin. Sin is sin, and we all have it, and we all need grace. So we find, and actually the Hebrew word here in the belly, it's actually in the womb of the fish, i.e. that's why the Midrash talks about, I'll make it pregnant, so it's uncomfortable for him. Regardless, just so you know, and I, listen, I, am, I cannot exhaust the book of Jonah. It is too complex. But I will tell you this, the term fish is used a couple of times. Both times they're used in different genders. Now, they, did not, they weren't democratic writers who wrote it, and that's why they did it. That has nothing to do with it. The reason there are different genders here is there's different perspectives of what's going on. It's very unique, and it's worth your time to study it, but I'm just, there's not time this morning. Just giving you that so you can study it yourself. I called out of my distress to the Lord, and He answered me. I cried out, I cried for help from the depth of where? Shield. Do you see that word? From the depth of shield, you heard my voice. Now, is Jonah saying that he was literally in Sheol and he's crying for help, or he's saying, I'm in the depth of the sea and I'm going to use a figurative language called Sheol because it's in the depth to answer, uh, to call from. Can anybody answer that? We can answer that. Some people say it's figurative, talking about the bottom of the ocean. Is that possible? Sure. I, I tell you what, I'd feel like I'm in hell if I'm in the belly of a fish. Now, hell and Sheol are not equal, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But the point of the matter is, he calls it, for some reason, Sheol. Is it? He was in Sheol. Sheol. Is that possible? Yes or no? Yes, it's possible. So both 
understandings of this text are possible. If he died, he was in Sheol. That's a holding place we'll talk about in just a second. If he did not die, he was in the depths. It's used as figurative language. How many understand that? It doesn't matter to the text per se, but just so we know, I think it's important, we understand what Sheol is. What is Sheol? In the Hebrew scripture, the word used to describe the realm of the dead is Sheol. Sheol is the realm of the dead. It simply means the place of the dead, the place of the departed soul's spirits. The New Testament Greek equivalent to Sheol is Hades, which also refers to the place of the dead. Other passages in the New Testament indicate that Sheol, Hades, is a temporary place. How many have ever heard of soul sleep? Or have heard a temporary abode from the Catholic Church? This is where they get it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying this is where they get it. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 gives a clear distinction between Hades and the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the permanent and final place of judgment for the lost. Hades, then, is a temporary place. Many people refer to both Hades and the lake of fire as hell, and that causes confusion. And it's not helpful. Sheol is not hell. I totally disagree with the uh, Apostles' Creed when they say Jesus went to hell. He did not go to hell. Matter of fact, there are some Pentecostals who believe, and this is, I'm not trying to disparage Pentecostalism and throw them under the bus. We all have, none of us are perfect. Reality is, Jesus did not go to hell and pay Satan the debt he owed. That is absolutely, incredibly, totally opposite of Scripture. He owed Satan nothing. Jesus paid the debt to God Almighty. Amen. That's the payment. God is sovereign, not Satan. I want to make sure we understand that. There was no reason to go to hell. People say he went to hell to preach to people. Well, here's the deal. If we do not understand dispensationalism, shield makes no sense. In all honesty. Jesus went down and he led captivity captive. What does that mean? Well, here's the reality. If the lake of fire is a permanent place, and it is, if Hades and Sheol are temporary abodes, and I'm going to argue that they are, many people refer, here's the deal. At death, did Jesus go to Sheol like every single person that had ever died goes to Sheol? How many remember David when he lost his son? Anybody remember what happens? I will go to Sheol and be with him. What does that mean? The place of the dead. Listen, there had not been a death, burial, and resurrection yet. This is all Old Testament. That's why dispensationalism is important in understanding what this is. <clears throat> in Luke 16, we find a, a great picture that helps us understand this. And that is, do you remember the rich man in Lazarus? The rich man, the Bible says, went to where? Hades. The 
Lazarus went to where? Paradise, the term is used. Could From paradise, could he see and hear people in Hades? Yeah, because this is still Old Testament time frame, if you will. There, there still is a shield, a, a holding place. And literally, the rich man was in Hades, and he, in, in Sheol, and he was crying, dip your finger in the water, come and cool my tongue. He was talking to who? Abraham. What's Abraham doing there? He's in the place of the dead. Amen? And then, Lazarus said, or the, the uh, rich man said, hey, if you would raise a guy from the dead, then they'll believe you. Not based on that suggestion, <laughs> but I could just see God smiling. Oh, if I raise somebody from the dead. Well, I'm not for this. But there's a man coming. Amen? There's, Sheol is this, so did, did, did let me ask you this, is David going to go to hell? Was David a man after God's own heart? Does he go to hell? No, he's going to be with Christ. How many would agree with that 100%? David says to his son, I will go with you, to, with you and see you in Sheol, the place of the dead, not the everlasting hell, fire, lake of fire. How many get this so far? So, what is Sheol? It's a place where people died. What did Jesus do? He went down there to Sheol and said, I believe, I believe. I can't give you text, but I believe this 100%. He went down to the dead that the Lazarus was in, not to Hades, to Lazarus is in, and said, guys, it is finished. Your debt has been paid. I have sacrificed my, my life for your sins. And in three days he rose and broke death. Amen. Jesus went to Sheol and preached, praise God, to them that their debt had been paid. Amen? Sheol is a place of that. He wasn't in hell. He was in the place of the dead. How many, un does this, is that understandable? By the way, Hades, guess where that's going? It will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, when you die, do you go to Sheol according to the text? Now, according to some doctrine out there from certain churches, no, you still go to this waiting place. No, the Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with whom? God. And that text blows away their doctrine. I will listen to that text before I listen to that doctrine. Amen. And by the way, if any doctrine conflicts with Scripture, chuck the doctrine. Oh, come on, come on. If any doctrine conflicts with the text, chuck the doctrine. We don't chuck doctrine if it's with the text. We embrace it and preach it. Amen. Uh, so, all the believing dead go to this, uh, uh, all the believing dead go to Sheol, and Hades, but there is a place within that called paradise, and Hades, and the bad place, 
the good, the, the good, I'm sorry, the believers end up in Sheol, the good side, in paradise it's called, and the unbelievers go to Hades, the bad side, before, before, before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After that, the believers are absent from the body. When they die, they are in the presence of God. <clears throat> so, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. So, we find that he is called out of, he calls out to the Lord in his distress, okay, I've had enough. I will pray to you, God. And he answers me. How did he answer me? Well, with this creature, if you will. And now he's in the depth of Sheol. Whether that's the depth of the sea or whether that's actually Sheol, it doesn't matter to the principle. You still heard my voice. Let me ask you, did God hear, hear the Lazarus's voice, yes or no? God is absolutely in charge of all, both Hades and Sheol and hell per se, lake of fire. You heard my voice. This is interesting. I called out, to the, out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. That's Jonah. Let's listen to Psalm 18. The cords of Sheol surround me. The snares of death confront me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to God for help. He heard my voice. Bout of his temple, out of his temple, not bout, out of his temple. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. Let me ask you, if you will read Jonah 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and you start comparing it to Psalm 18, do you see all the similarities there? I mean, Jonah is literally singing the hymnal of Judaism, which is what? The book of Psalm, the book of songs, right? And he's, it's interesting, the cord of shield around me, he talks about the seaweed surrounding his neck in the depth of his words, shield. <laughs> he's literally singing. So this man now is praying, now he's singing to God, but he's not asking for forgiveness. He's not recognizing that he was wrong. He just needs help. Let me ask you, do we as believers need help? Absolutely. There are times in our lives, there's not a one person here that does not need Christ to help them through situations. Every one of us do. Unfortunately, we go to psychologists and the world's philosophy. We go to the government. We go to this, that, and the other thing for help when we need to be going to God first and foremost. Amen. God is our help. How is God our help? He brings a church around us, and those, that church does the one another's, amen, and helps each other out. We have people in our church right now that are just dying for help. They need help. They're crying. Do you even know who they are? If not, you have not practiced the one another's. I'm telling you, 
There might be even people in this room who you've never even talked to before. Shame on us. No one wants to say amen to that. Why not? I know there's been people here for three months you don't know their names. Faithfully, they've been here more in the church than you have. Did Jonah have a problem? Oh, he's very religious. Knows the songs, knows the verses. So what if he doesn't live the life? Amen? And all of us, myself included, all of us have these problems. That's why God doesn't encourage us to love ourselves, because it automatically happens. Jonah knew his Bible. He was well acquainted with his spiritual heritage. You can see it here. And then here in this verse, so I said I've been expelled from your sight. I I don't think he said, what did I do? I don't think he got that bold. (laughs) But he feels like he's expelled from his sight. Now let me ask you, do we feel like we're way away from God? He's not near me. There are times in our lives when we feel that way. Why? Because we aren't. We aren't drawing closer to Him as believers. What a horrible place to be in. He says, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. What does that mean? I will look towards your holy temple. By the way, this... Ultimately, when he talks about the holy temple and then being cast into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me, the rivers, the idea is, and our breakers and billows passed over me, all of those are in this text. And then he talks about the holy temple. What is he talking about? By the way, this this goes to show you the complexity of this book. For while Jonah was readily able to quote beautiful truths from the Psalms, he appears not to have grasped their implications. Jonah's situation comes into sharper focus as he identifies the location from which he cries from Sheol's belly. Is this a colorful designation for the ocean's depth or for the actual image of Sheol is irrelevant to the point. The reality is, he knows that he's far from God. He's in a horrible place in his life because he has disobeyed the sovereign God. And he knows that. And for some odd reason, he loves the Lord so much, he realizes this and says, listen, I have been expelled from your sight. And then he says, Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. What what is he saying? Well, there are multiple. If you have 50 commentaries, you're going to have 60 explanations of this. Does that make sense? This is difficult. What does it mean, I will look again to your holy temple? I will tell you what I believe it means. It doesn't mean that I'm right but I believe chapter 2 bears this out. 
I believe it's the context of the situation, and it makes a ton of sense. I have been expelled from your sight, yet I will never stop praying. By the way, what do the uh, Muslims do? Was it twice a day, three times a day? Towards Mecca. Why that? How important to Jewish people is Jerusalem and particularly the temple? Very. Go up, the text says, right? Even though it's going down, you're going up to the temple. Why? It's a sacred place. It's an important place. I think, do you remember we had a, a Sunday morning or Sunday evening service where the text was saying, or we watched the archaeologists on the Temple Mount going through the temple. And remember the Jewish people were there. We're never closer to God than standing right here. They still believe God is in His temple. That's how important it is for them. So the reality is, I will look again towards your holy temple. I, I truly believe 100%. I will never stop praying. This is important to me. I feel like I'm out from your presence, but God, I will never stop praying to you. Folks, that is the time we must pray even more. Is it not true? Actually, we should never be stopped praying, right? Pray without ceasing. I really believe that's what he's trying to say right there. The nature of his distress is the worst it can get because he uses the term shiel here. It appears from this scream, the start of the prayer in general, God has successfully shook Jonah out of his complacency through his experience of a supernatural salvation and a horrific judgment. They both come at the same time. It's a judgment because here, these in their minds, this Gentile unbeliever picked me up and threw me into the ocean to save their lives. And at the same time, God in His mercy had this fish, and I can just envision it. Why, th th this is my envision. This is my all my opinion, okay? Here's the sea creature floating around the ocean. All of a sudden, kaploosh. He's already tasted the, the, um, the barrels and the boxes of booty that were in the ship because they'd already threw it over. That ain't any good. Here comes the next one. It's like baiting a fish. How many understand this? Here comes Jonah. And Jonah is falling and falling and falling. And he's now tangled in the weeds in the depths of, of, of despair. Maybe even dead. Maybe that's the last thing he knows. He's talking about it. About being surrounded by the sea mess. And now he's inside a fish. Oh, yum. How many have ever been around Flayed fish after three days. All I can see is, right? 
Was Jonah judged? Yes or no? Absolutely. Judged, disciplined, but also saved. All of that comes at once. What a blessing. What a great thing. These words, and I'm just going to get these, tell you about these words as we are breaking the text down. You cast me here, Jonah's saying. You cast me into the water. You've, you've cast me out, and I feel rejected. Well, go, you think? You've cast me out of your presence. Matter of fact, that word is also found in, uh, that same idea is found in Psalm 51. It's also in Psalm 71. I've been abandoned is the idea, like, like a child under one of the bushes in Genesis chapter 21 and Ezekiel chapter 15. Throwing, it's the same word here, you cast me here. It's a time of throwing stones and a time of gathering them in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Jonah ascribes God's rejection to the Lord, just like he's assigning the waves that beset him to God as if they were minions. Your, your breakers and your billows are pounding me. I am total torment here. You have rejected me. You are disciplining me. Amen. How many of you hate what's coming in two months? The warmth that we get to embrace in northern Minnesota. The piles of warmth, frozen liquid, crystallized liquid. How many of us complain all the time? Last week we complained it was too hot. In two months it's going to be too cold. Right? All of us complain we don't have a real truck, a Ford, <laughs> unless you own one. The, the reality is we are complainers. I will tell you this, instead of complaining of your circumstances, what Jonah had every right to do, although he was dead wrong in doing what he did, his circumstances were horrid. Instead of complaining, he prayed. Why? Are these circumstances outside of God's purview? Yes or no? No. Is God the one that sent the storm? Absolutely. Is God the one that sent the, 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 the waves and the billows and the streams and being tossed and the, and the cords around his neck and then the sea serpent that came and ate him? Absolutely. God didn't say, oh, whoops, sorry about that, Jonah. I didn't, I, I didn't catch that one. I was dealing with Bill. No! No! That's not my God. Our God is sovereign, Amen. He is all providential. It's His work at hand. Nothing's outside of His purview. The reality is, in those times of circumstances, the last thing we do is pray, and it should have been the first. True? Okay, now I'm in real deep trouble. I was on the ship, got away. Woo, that was close. And then the storm came, so I got to the basement, and whew, that was close. Now I'm actually telling people to throw me overboard. Am I going crazy? 
Now I'm like I'm dead. I don't know if Jonah knew he was dead or alive. I don't know. All I can do now is pray. He had to go through all these things and then pray. By the way, he paid money. He probably wasted all the money he had to get the ship itself. I mean, there's so many things. Now he's praying. God sends circumstances in your lives to make you do his will. But why do we fight it so much when we should just embrace it? How many think Jonah should have embraced it? He should have done that. Yeah, so should we and you, you and me. Both of us need to. All of us need to. The storms of life sends shivers down our spine, but sent blessings to our heart. Because God is the only one that I'm going to embrace, and He will hold me fast. Amen? He will hold me fast. My husband, my wife, my friend, my elder, pastor, whatever, all those guys, they're men and women that will fail. God will never fail. Amen? Never fail. And when these troubles come, seek God. Be with godly people. Encourage them. Love them. Share scripture with them. That is the only hope they have. Amen? My hope is in the Lord. There are some situations in this church right now I can't imagine going through. But God can and He will hold you fast. Don't let that pass. Cling to Him. Embrace Him. Jonah's finally getting the picture, but it's taken a lot. Some of us are German. And it takes a lot. To beat into our heads, we're being idiots. True? Jonah knows this theology. Your breakers, your billows. He knows God's in charge of all of this. The word deep here is to refer to the vertical distance underwater. That's the idea. The heart of the sea is what some people call it into the depths. The current, marine currents he talks about in the rivers and the streams that he mentions in the text, they engulfed me. The helpless feeling of someone who sinks in deep water is augmented by the dread of one who's surrounded by hostile forces. It's just like, get me out of here. I can't handle this. You can't. That's why you're a believer. There's only one who can. Do you get the picture of Jonah? They swept over me. The waves broke. It pushed me to and fro. The drowning man, swamped by the powerful waves, feels that they are all directed against him. Swept over me over and over. By the way, all these words are found in Psalm 42, 118, 18. Just unbelievable. So I said, this is how I felt, in essence. I have been expelled from your sight. He considers that 
he has been rejected and consigned to drowning by his God. He understands his imminent death as a final dismissal from the Lord's presence and providence, where Jonah will be gone from God's plan and focus. He calls it his gaze. You're not gazing at me anymore, God. In the first part of the verse, the rupture with the Lord is described as banishment from his field of vision. So to the second part, this is Jonah's part. Even though, in essence, I believe he's saying, even though I have disobeyed you, and rightfully so, I am banished from you, which he wasn't yet. We know that, but that's how he feels. I will still gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple. I will still pray. I will still persist in prayer. Jonah's expressed desperate determination as he resolves to persist in prayer until, until God answers him. I'm not going to go through both views of this. I think we'll just focus on, he's just going to keep praying. He's going to keep praying. Nothing will thwart him from praying. Let me ask you, is it I didn't go through the PowerPoint like I should. I got too into the text. Are every single last one of us, every one of us that are believers, are we just like Jonah? We're exactly like Jonah. We are exactly like Jonah. I'm going to just stop this. I'm sorry. I'll leave this text up. We are going to face turmoil in this life. We are going, our believers are going to face unbelievable, terrible circumstances. We have a lady in our church right now who has a disease. And I'm just going to be blunt with this disease. It's called the suicide disease. Because most people that have it commit suicide because the pain is so hard. Did you know that? Should we be praying for her? Should we be encouraging her? We have another family in church who's lost everything. Nothing to their name. Gone. Been faithful for three months to the church. Do we love them? Oh, yeah, we love them, Pastor. What are we doing for them? How are we loving them? How are we serving them? There's so much of Jonah in us that we just are all about ourselves. In, in reality, isn't that what he did? It's all about me. 
It's not about what God has placed me in. I do not want to help other people. I want to worry about me. Is that fair? We are all selfish in many ways. But God in his great mercy, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. He has graced you with his life. And you are now a child of his. And that means you belong to a community of believers called the church. And that church is there to support each other because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Don't be a Jonah. God still wants to use you. Love them. Embrace them. Serve them. Minister to them. One of my favorite, ever since I wrote the dissertation on vocation, my favorite sentence, the favorite phrase, is not even a sentence, is this. Pastors, elders are a minister. They're not the minister. Every Christian is a minister. Amen? Every Christian is a minister. People are right now in our church are hurting. They need your ministering. Amen? They need your serving. Jonah, I will tell you this, the very idea, I have been expelled from your sight. All he's worried about is himself. Help me. Does God help him? Absolutely he does. Does Jonah then go and do the ministry he's called to do? Yes, he does. Now, how does he do it? I, that's up for debate. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Even though we are all Jonas, which I think it's pretty obvious we all are, do you know how God used Jonah? The greatest revival, the greatest, uh, not Reformation revival, those are the wrong words, the, the greatest Act of repentance, the greatest heart of repentance, that's the word that was used in the Old Testament there, the greatest repentant group in all of Scripture is Nineveh. And Jonah's the, the tool God used to see that happen. And according to Jesus himself, who was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, those legalistic punks, which we all have that too. He says, they, the Ninevites, will judge you in the end. Ooh. Ooh. A knife to the heart of the legalistic mind. In other words... These troubles will come, God's still on the throne. Amen? These troubles will come, the church will be here with you, for you, through all of this. Why? That's God's design. Amen? There are so many. Is Jonah a complex book? Wow. Wow. But this isn't complex. 
Seek Him first, always and continually. Love others as He has loved you. Serve others as we have been commanded to and which pleases God. And never forget, I'm a child of the King. I want to be faithful to Him. Jonah was unfaithful. We have been unfaithful. But Jonah prayed as we can pray. And we can be used of him by being that faithful person again. Amen. Let's be faithful. Mr. Gaiman, can you close us in a word of prayer, please? Please stand. I'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Before I pray, just a reminder that Starting Wednesday evening, our new fall classes for youth and adults here at church. And in particular, for the adults, we will be discussing how to address life issues using a biblical worldview. In other words, thinking biblically to address the things that come our way every day, right? So let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that it lays bare the soul and shows us our weakness and it also shows us your power and your majesty. I pray we would apply what we've learned in Jesus' name.